Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, listeners. This episode is made possible thanks to Luke's English Podcast Premium. LEP Premium is the paid service that I also have. And the money that I make from doing LEP Premium helps me to make episodes of the podcast, helps me to pay for all the different things that are involved in it, and also allows me to pay for the time as well. That's probably the most crucial one, the time that I need to actually produce episodes of this podcast on a regular basis. It means, for example, that I can't do a normal full-time job. Instead, I've chosen to devote my time to this, but I need to get paid, obviously, to, to be able to pay the bills and all that stuff. So that's what LEP Premium does. And also, obviously, the uh, the other side of it is that, um, you know, you get access to this huge library of content that's there to help you learn vocab, grammar and pronunciation properly. So check out LEP Premium. You'd be helping the podcast and also helping yourself in the process. Uh, teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info for all of the information that you need. OK, good. Let's start the episode. And here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing in podcast land? I hope you're doing okay. Here is a new episode of the Rick Thompson Report. In the Rick Thompson Report, I talk to my dad about the issues of the day, news and current affairs from the UK, especially politics. The last time we spoke was in episode 652 at the beginning of the lockdown. We talked about COVID-19, how the government was handling it and what kind of crisis it could become. Now, recording this at the start of July 2020, the world is coming out of lockdown in many areas. Are we out of it now or are some places still affected? What's been going on in the UK all this time? And will the government be ready to properly leave the EU at the end of the year when the transition period ends? With his usual clarity then, here is my dad, Rick Thompson, to talk about these things. And here we go. This is the Rick Thompson Report with Rick Thompson. Hello, Dad. How are you? Hello, Luke. How are you? How are you? I'm, I'm fine. Who are you? Isn't that, isn't that a, a Marx Brothers uh, joke? It's like, who, no, he says, uh, who are you? I'm fine. Who are you? Something, something like that. Some old. It Marx sounds Brothers. like a Marx Brothers one, yes. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, who are you as opposed to how are you? Yes. Yes. We well, know who I, you are. I know who you are. <laughs> so how are you? I know, I know who you are. <laughs> Do you know that film, Taken? Do you know, have you ever heard of Taken? Well, yes, you've gone on and on about Taken. It's apparently an absolutely <laughs> dreadful film. <laughs> it is pretty awful, but it's sort of amazing as well at the same time. I think you might enjoy it, although it's quite, it's really awfully sort of, it's got these terrible racist undertones to it. And it's, it's also preposterous, isn't it? It's completely preposterous. Yes. Liam Neeson goes on a kill spree to find his daughter. 
you know. I think I'll do without it. Thank you very it's much. It's worth it just for Liam Neeson and just the whole, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. You know, that whole speech that he does. Was that an Irish accent there or was it's, it an American one? It's, he's a sort of, he's an Irish guy who's been living in America. And oh, so right. he speaks like this. This is Liam Neeson's voice. Anyway, um, so you're fine. You're fine, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely fine. Obviously, um, staying in a lot, not going out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's good thing that we've got a garden. It's also a good thing that we've uh, got the internet because um, without that, it would be extremely boring. Yes, indeed. So what's the situation there in the UK uh, at the moment? It's the beginning of July. Yeah, we are speaking on the 2nd of July. This coming Saturday, the 4th of July, there will be a more relaxation going on. So pubs and restaurants and hairdressers can open as long as they uh, adhere to social distancing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the government's communication on what should people should be doing, shouldn't be doing has been very confusing. A lot of people say they're confused. Um, it's different in Wales, Northern Ireland and Scotland from England in certain ways oh, really? for a start. Um, yes, England is opening up quicker. Um, Scotland is, is the kind of toughest and uh, the first minister there, Nicola Sturgeon, is quite persuasive in saying it's, it's too early yet and they have got a, a quite a decent drop in the number of cases mm. in scotland yeah uh, they they went for several days in a row with no deaths at all in scotland oh wow whereas in other parts of the uk it, you know it was over 100 mm. so yeah uh, the the rules are a little confusing because two meters is impossible to uh, keep to in a pub or a restaurant then the government says oh well we'll call it one meter plus what does that mean? One, I don't know. It means, well, if you can't do two metres, settle for one metre, you know. Mm. And um, people meeting up, because people were getting so fed up of not being able to see their relatives and, and so on, they said, OK, you can meet uh, outside in a park, for example, up to six members of a household not your own. OK? okay. Six. OK. Why not ten? Why not eight? Six people that you don't live with. You can That's meet right. in the park. That's right. And, and you can form a bubble. This, this jargon is very, very <laughs> Boris Johnson. He uses all these weird words. You can form a bubble with another household. What the hell does that so, mean? Well, it means you can go into their house and they can come into yours, but you can only do it with one household. So that means that you can go and see Granny, and Granny can come and see you, but she can't see anybody else, and you can't but, see anybody else in your house. But wait a minute, I thought the whole point of social distancing was that we don't go and see Granny. That was the whole point, right? It's changed, Luke. It's changing so, all But the it's time. like, you can now go and see Granny. Just yes. don't go and see any other Grannies. That's right. Uh, and so, um, you know, at least I think that's what the rules are. I mean, you know, everybody's not entirely sure. Um, <laughs> and, of course, a lot of people have been ignoring them particularly last weekend last weekend it was a very hot day mm-hmm. uh, unusually because june has been quite cool so here we were end of june and it was an extremely hot day and everybody w- rushed to the beaches and on the south coast of england particularly a, a resort called bournemouth uh, it was completely packed and um, the local authority had to declare what they call um a major incident or something yeah. like that, which meant that they could call on other police forces and thing, things like that. But, it, it, the, you know, the pictures of the people completely packed on the beach is normal. Uh, 
And then there's been other people who've been having parties, particularly on warm evenings. There was a big party in, in London, in the Brixton area. Yeah. With music, a, a kind of unlicensed music event yeah. going on at two o'clock in the morning with large numbers of people. And when the, when the police tried to tell them to go home, they, they attacked the police and smashed up some of their vehicles. Yeah. That's nice. So the reason I think that uh, some people haven't been following the social distancing rules and risking another spread of the virus for two reasons. One was that their communications has been very confusing about mm. what's uh, right and what's wrong. But the second one is that the government has been setting a very poor example. When we last spoke on the podcast, which was the middle of March, before we'd actually shut down in the UK, Boris Johnson was having photo calls, shaking hands with nurses and things. And uh, this was when already um, the government was saying that you shouldn't do that. You, know, you should elbow bump and you know, wash your hands. It didn't apply to our prime minister. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, uh, he got the coronavirus. Um, and, you know, he was in intensive care in hospital. Um, so did our health secretary, though he didn't get it so badly. Uh, quite a number of other government ministers did because they were still, still, you know, sitting in committee meetings and uh, and even in the House of Commons, not following the social distancing that they were telling everybody else to follow. Why not? So it's hardly surprising that people, you know, don't trust them and don't don't have any faith in the government. Why were they the not particular uh, incident? I'm yes. oh, sorry, Luke. Go on. I was just going to say, why were they not uh, following the rules that they were like laying out for people? Well, I don't know. You ask them. <laughs> they, they, there was a pretense of having them sitting further apart in the House of Commons, but at certain points, you know, they, they were standing up in groups and and you know lobbying the the speaker and one thing or another, just behaving normally. It's because they are arrogant as well as being stupid. <laughs> and the the this. Um, Listeners of your wonderful podcast will know that I'm no fan of Boris Johnson in this government, far from it. Um, and they're all people who you know, engineered Brexit, they're nationalists, and they are very, very self-confident. They, they, don't, they don't care about anybody else. So the, this came to a head with Boris's uh, special advisor, his chief advisor, the person who is... Uh, most influential in number 10 Downing Street, according to all the reports, a guy called Dominic Cummings. It was revealed in the press that he had actually uh, driven um, 300 miles up to the north of England um, to um, stay where his, his parents and his, uh, uh, I think his sisters live. And um, he, he had uh, COVID at the time. He, he had the symptoms, yes. Uh, and his wife had had it. And... Um, they uh, even did a little trip out 30 miles from Durham to a place called Barnard's Castle, which is a kind of beauty spot, and was seen there strolling about. And when all this emerged, everyone was absolutely outraged. Nobody else is allowed to go anywhere. Um, and uh, especially, if, especially if you have symptoms. Especially if you have and, symptoms. And if, You're if, supposed to lock yourself away for two weeks. Yeah. So he got he got in his car... And drove three hundred miles up north to where Durham where was it? Yes, yeah. uh, northeast. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so, and this this guy, he's not um, an elected MP. He's not actually no, a member of the, the 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 cabinet or anything. He's an advisor. He's a civil servant or a private. No, he's not of- even that. He he's what's called a SPAD. S P A D. Oh yeah. A SPAD stands for Special Advisor. 
And they they have a number of spads. Uh, Ministers can appoint people they think will be able to be useful to them as civilian special advisors. And and where do they come from? Do they come from the private or public sector? Well, they are something that normally, you know, uh, Dominic Cummings ran the Vote Leave campaign, essentially. Uh, And uh, they... He's a, he's, spin, a, he's, a, he's a spin doctor. Yes, that's right. He's a spin doctor, uh, um, as we say. Um, so um, when it was revealed, everyone was outraged, and, and Boris Johnson refused to sack him, refused to uh, do anything about it. And in the end, the outcry was so strong that Dominic Cummings was allowed to do a big press conference in the garden of Downing Street, the back garden, yeah. in the Rose Garden. And he made the most ridiculous excuses yeah, yeah, about, what, yeah. You know, that's right. How there were special circumstances because uh, he needed some a childminder for his child. If if he and his wife were both incapable of doing it, I mean, this is getting ridiculous because someone in his position can easily sort out a childminder. And um, uh, what about all the other people? You know, the single parent mothers living in tower blocks. I mean, Wait. what do they do? So the suggestion. And it also, the, well, listen, listen, it gets better. The, the visit to Barnard Castle mm. was because his eyes had been playing up oh, he, and he wasn't sure whether he could drive. So it was a test drive. He drove to Barnard Castle back to see if his eyesight was good enough to drive. Oh, my God. And he actually <laughs> said that to the oh, press. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, he said this to the press uh, at the back of Downing Street. Uh, so, yeah, he said that his, his eyes had been playing up. He'd had problems with his eyes, maybe related to COVID. Oh, yes, yes, one of the symptoms. And yeah. um, so he wasn't sure he was fit to drive because his eyesight was so poor. So to test it out, he drove for half an hour to a nearby castle to do some for, for a beauty spot trip. Happened to be his wife's birthday, by the way. Um, so he drove for thirty minutes to check his eyesight, That's which what he is said. it's like shoot, it's like like shooting yourself in the head to check if the gun is working. <laughs> you know, it's know. that level of of uh, anyway. Logic. The, the reason the reason I mentioned this extraordinary incident is, of course, that Boris Johnson has not done anything about it, and um, he, Dominic Cummings is still there, apparently pulling the strings, and he's a very very. Uh, interesting man in that he his um whole uh, philosophy of life is to be different and to be disruptive and he likes uh, quoting um business people and philosophers who talk about you know uh, doing the unconventional and he's putting all the establishments of our parliamentary democracy um uh, under some kind of scrutiny because he doesn't like any of them so we're, there's a danger. I mean, people uh, listening to this might think, well, surely not, that, you know, the UK is the, uh, is the mother of all de- parliamentary democracies. And we've clung to it uh, very firmly for a long time. So, you know, so the Queen is simply a titular head, the Prime Minister and Parliament uh, are supreme, they make the laws. The, the, the idea, of course, is that the Parliament makes laws, an independent judiciary carries out those laws and an independent civil service or executive uh, operates within those laws and uh, we are suddenly faced with a very very strange situation where um, laws are being passed by uh, an obscure um, uh, power that goes back to Henry VIII where you can simply issue an edict and, and basically make up laws in number 10 Downing Street without it actually going to the 
to go into the parliament at all. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. The, the the press briefings that used to happen in the Commons now happen in Number Ten. Uh, they tried to merge all the advisors of the of the Treasury, the Finance Department, with that of Number Ten. Uh, so outrageous that the then Chancellor of the Exchequer resigned rather than allow it to happen. Yeah, but because it has happened. Basically, didn't Dominic Cummings sort of step into Number Eleven, which is where the the, the Finance Minister? Uh, uh, exists yeah, um, and, and and brought in all his staff and basically said we're taking over Where's right that and he told he told the then chancellor of the exchequer that he had to fire his current staff to make way and the, and the chancellor refused to do it so it was basically a takeover of number 11 by, yes by all these 10. things are are um dangerous that first of all he's trying to sideline uh the the mps because they're troublesome um the he the courts are in his sights, apparently, because he thinks they're obstructive. Remember, it was the Supreme Court that said that uh, suspending Parliament so that they don't have to scrutinise the Brexit bill um, was unlawful. Uh, so he doesn't like the courts. He doesn't like the BBC. And uh, all these outfits are wondering what will happen next. So the civil service, by the way the heads of the main departments of the civil service are all being forced to resign. What? And the last, last week it was the senior civil servant, the, the head of the cabinet office, the number one civil servant uh, has said he's stepping aside because he's been told he has to. Wow. Um, so they're, they're, they're sort of trying to shake up the civil service, shake up everything. And this is a government that's got a big majority in the House of Commons, and they are, in my opinion, drunk on power. Oh, dear. What a nightmare. Um, yes, well, there you are. That's a nice start, isn't it? Who is this Dominic Cummings? Where did he come from? Well, he's a, he's, he went to a public school, he went to Oxford, and, and he went into business. Uh, I think he's something to do with data and um, analysis of uh, data. I don't really know. Spent a couple of years in Russia, didn't he, as well? Did Stuff he? like that. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Anyway, interesting individual, isn't he? Anyway, the, 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 the fact is that the, the COVID-19 uh, outbreak, Britain's mm. performance has been terrible. Uh, since we last spoke, there has been a lockdown, but it was far too late. And we were ill-prepared in other ways. So whereas other countries acted decisively and quickly, introducing test and trace systems to nip it in the bud, as it were. Uh, we didn't do anything. We didn't have proper stockpiles of um, protective equipment, PPE. We didn't have enough ventilators. And they had a big panic about whether the National Health Service, i.e. the hospitals, would be overwhelmed. Well, the health service wasn't overwhelmed in that way, but they didn't do anything about all the care homes where elderly people live. And the, the virus ripped through the care homes and they hadn't done anything about that at all. They couldn't decide whether to test and trace or not to test and trace. They, they uh, decided that were apps, mobile phone apps, that would be helpful and it sort of shouted from the rooftops, we've got a wonderful app and they were testing it on the Isle of Wight off the south coast of England. Well, that didn't work, so they've abandoned that one. Really? Uh, they refused to buy into a scheme to get protective equipment via the EU because we're not in the EU anymore, even though they could have done. 
and all the time the infection rate was shooting up and the death rate was shooting up and uh, the figures for us as I speak are that the number of people uh, who are confirmed deaths from COVID-19 is around 45,000. Mm-hmm. But there's another measure, which is uh, the National Statistical Office yeah. um, uses this measure, which is how many excess deaths are there. That is, in a comparable period over the previous 10 years, mm-hmm. how many people would be expected to die mm-hmm. and how many have died in the period this year. Yes. And that figure is about 65,000. Wow. It's a, it's a huge figure. It's the biggest in Europe. Um, we're the best, and, in, uh, best in Europe. Oh, yeah, we're the best in Europe. Are we the best in the world? It, no, 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 no. It's America, it's, isn't it? America, <laughs> yeah, America USA first. Right up there. Well, what's going on now, of course, is that this great dilemma between uh, health and wealth, as some people put it, the fact that the economy can't you know, grind to a halt because there'll be huge mass unemployment and then probably civil unrest. Um, they've got to get people back to work. Um, and some countries are in a better position to do it than others. Uh, so we're kind of struggling to get back. Uh, unemployment is shooting up. Um, but the infection rate is kind of flat at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, you know, huge. So I think yesterday they declared 155 deaths in the previous 24-hour period. Before that, it was 100. And over the weekend, the figures are right down because of various uh, recording uh, anomalies. So we're probably running at about 100 deaths a day at the moment. Uh, whereas, of course, in the United States, uh, the the graph is shooting up, especially in the southern states. Is it? Oh, absolutely. Oh, God, I didn't know that. And it's shooting up in a lot of other places, in Latin America, uh, Middle East, Iran. You know, some of your listeners will know that in some countries it's pretty well out of control. And India is is a real worry Obviously, it's got a huge population, but their health system uh, isn't really resourced to be able to cope with um, major outbreaks. And, of course, there's a lot of people living close together who can't social distance, and the the numbers there are really starting to shoot up. Oh, dear. Okay. So... Back to the UK then. So everything's other than that, except for other all of that. Other than that, except for all that, everything's plain sailing then for Brexit at the end of the year. Oh dear Brexit! Well, that's another problem that we've got, which makes it worse than other European countries that we're doing this in parallel with leaving the EU. Um, now, your listeners will know that I think us leaving the EU is a terrible mistake, and um, the negotiations are going badly. Uh, mm-hmm. over what kind of future relationship, particularly trading relationship, we'll have with the EU27. Have they been, seven uh, countries. Have they been negotiating on Zoom? They have been, but they're starting some face-to-face meetings now. They genuinely um, have been. I yeah, was they, I was they, kind they're of having alternate, alternate weeks. Uh, they've just started one week okay. in Brussels, next week in London. Mm-hmm. But um, there, there are issues which where we're miles apart. I mean, I predict that whatever happens, Boris Johnson will, towards the end of the year, announce a wonderful deal. He'll say, you know, we've done a deal, I told you we would, it's a fantastic deal, it's really great for Britain. Of course, it, it won't be great for Britain, it'll it'll be another one of his bombastic statements, you know, like, 
we have a world-beating test-and-trace system, uh, when we didn't. <laughs> um, so, world-beating well in the sense that it will bring the world to its knees. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so we've got this to come this to look forward to haven't we uh, we're now into the second half of the year and we haven't the faintest idea what our relationship with the eu will be come the end of december which is when our tr- transition period finishes we are out of the eu technically now but there was a 12 month transition where everything would stay much the same while we negotiate the new relationship for the future so we don't know we wait and see from every issue you look at we don't know but we it's- don't know exactly how the, the trading with Ireland will happen, where, the, where there will be border controls or checks. We don't know what the fishing situation will be. The, the fishermen around Britain are, are very Brexity. They, they, they want to have our fish for us, mm-hmm. keep the Europeans out. Mm. Well, OK, the fish don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> they don't actually respect national borders very much. <laughs> the, the, the other things are more serious really about the the financial city of london which has is a huge economy on its own you know whether we can still sell insurance uh, to european countries whether we have what's called financial passports which is you know tariff free money exchange all sorts of stuff like that mm. and then there's manufacturing a number of the big manufacturers who have plants in the uk have hinted and suggested that if we don't have pretty much tariff-free conditions so that, you know, if we sell a car to Germany and they sell a car to us, there's no tax on them. Mm -hmm. If we don't have that, they'll pull out. And um, there are some, you know, like Nissan and uh, Toyota and other people like that. Why would they um, keep making their machines here if they were going to be more expensive to sell? We've known that from the start. I remember very well making that exact point years ago before even the the, uh, referendum happened, that Mm. uh, the whole gateway to Europe thing, that the UK is a gateway to Europe, that many people invest in the UK because it gives them access to the single market. And, you know, they decide to put their car plant in the UK because there's experience there. And that allows them to sell in the U- in the EU. Um, yes, indeed. That, we'll, that we'll, have to, we'll just have to wait and see. We don't know whether it'll go. You know, mm. There may be mm. that it, the other European countries say, all right, then it's mutually beneficial not to have, uh, you know, uh, various restrictions. But um, they, the, they can't possibly let the UK be outside the EU and and cherry pick or just have the things in the EU that suit them. Yeah. Because, well, you can't. If you're in the club, you have to play by the rules. And if we're not going to play by the rules, we can't be in the club. So um, uh, it looks fairly grim to me. And at the same time, we're, we're negotiating trade deals with other countries, uh, notably mm. the United States. This is a terrible time to be negotiating a trade deal with the United States. Uh, they're four months off uh, presidential election, and their president is, in my humble opinion, slightly deranged. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, uh, and they, they would like to um, have access to our health services. Privatized American companies, medical companies, would like to have contracts to provide our medical services. We don't want that to happen because we have a national health service uh, which uh, isn't privatized. We also have medicines mm-hmm. that um, there's a there's a world market in pharmaceuticals, 
and uh, the Americans want to flog us their pills. Oh God! Um, that's, ter- that's then, a terrible. As far idea. as food is, as far as food is concerned, European standards are the highest in the world, and uh, mm. American standards uh, are different. Um, they uh, keep well, some of them. Uh, some of the big chicken farms are chickens kept in terrible conditions. And because they're kept in terrible conditions, they're liable to get diseases. And because they're liable to get diseases, when the chickens have been slaughtered and prepared for the market, they are washed in chlorine or oh, something like oh it. Chlorinated chicken, it's called. Well, of course, in, in our country, we don't want American chlorinated chicken. No. And we don't want beef from cows that have been routinely uh, given antibiotics. So if you try to do a trade deal with America and they say, right, you know, we need to you know, agree our tariff on beef and chicken, what's the answer? And the answer is, oh, no, we don't want to take your beef and chicken because your standards aren't high enough. And then I think at that point the trade deal is off. Oh, dear. Great. So, like, no food. Yay! <laughs> well, there's all sorts of interesting things about what's going to happen next. I mean, at the moment we're still focused on this pandemic and it is extremely serious and it's far from over we've just passed 10 million cases worldwide and more than half a million deaths worldwide Mm -hmm. this is not the flu and and we've discovered things about it it's a mysterious virus which nobody had seen before we now know that it leaves a lot of people in a a sort of disabled uh, to a certain extent. Damaged lungs. We're lung waiting damage. to see how long this damage lasts, but we can now see that you get damaged lungs and you can get damaged brain, brain damage. Seriously, wow. Yeah. And some people are very badly affected. You know, they, they have to learn how to walk again and, mm. and all that kind of thing. Of so it's not just the deaths, it's the people who've had it seriously. Yeah. Nobody knows why some people don't have any symptoms uh, and some people die. Nobody knows why... The black and Asian community in this country is more affected than the white people. Mm. There are theories, but nobody's really quite sure. Yeah. And uh, we've now got a local lockdown, probably the first of several. The cases were going up in the city of Leicester, in the middle of the country. And so uh, they've ruled that Leicester's got to shut down. So they can't travel outside a, a ring and people can't go into the ring. Mm-hmm. And they've got a lot of testing and hopefully tracing piling into Leicester. Well, why Leicester? The only thing that is interesting about Leicester is that it's got a very big Asian population. Mm -hmm. It may be because they've got quite big families and living close together. possibly, yeah. Uh, Or it may be something genetic. I mean, nobody really knows why the southern states, the United States, have got much higher incidence than the northern states. There's so many different possible factors because of the way that it's spread. So it's not just whether you are more likely to catch it or just more about the way your lifestyle uh, dictates that. So it's rather than it being a purely physiological thing, it's a cultural thing too. So it if you might well be, if yes. you spend a lot of time in groups of people, if you share houses, you know, and stuff like that, that can contribute to it. Um, I wonder even if stuff like air conditioning in in buildings and things could make a difference. That's an interesting thought. It may may well be. There's also this behavioural thing that if you are, let us say, hmm, don't want to be too prejudicial. How about 
you happen to be a southern a guy who lives in the south southern states of America, yeah, and you don't like Washington, and you just think government should leave us alone and let's get on with it. Yeah, you don't uh, wear a ma- you don't uh, wear a mask. You know, that's for sure. Uh, you don't wear a mask. Yeah, that's you, you, may, that may be it in the you south. Know, you, you, you don't you don't care. These guys they don't understand. Just you know, just we'll just get on with it. And it's very Trumpian because at the beginning he said oh, it'll it'll just go away. You know, don't panic. It'll just go away. Um, I mean, he's said so many nonsense things that an awful lot of deaths are down to his door at the White House, I think. I thought the other day, this is slightly going off on a tangent, I imagined what would it be like if Trump was an English teacher? Go on. And he's trying to, he's trying, he's trying to like sell his services, you know, and he's going, a lot of people are telling me there are tremendous problems with language with communication with words. And it is a problem. It's not something I've ever experienced personally. I speak and people understand instantly. It's what I do. That's how I'm known. A lot of people are having tremendous problems, huge problems internationally, and they're saying to me, we've got to fix things. And they're coming to me, and it really is a huge problem. And they're coming to me, and we're doing a terrific job. And so on. It goes on and on and on. Yeah, on and on and on and on. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's, now, that- what I was going to say was that we're in the centre of the, this virus, and it's got a long way to go, but the, 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 the thing that's going to be the most difficult is mm. how do we stop mass unemployment how do we get the world back to work yeah when um international travel is going to be restricted and um lots of other things will will have to be fairly restricted and uh, there's obviously huge concern that that you know let's say six months from now the end of the year there will be large numbers of people without work Mm. And without enough money, and the governments are desperately trying to bail them out in all over the place, but you can't do it forever. It, I'm not an economist. I've never quite understood what money is, mm. you know, how it how it works. They seem to be able to turn it on and print it and borrow it from <laughs> I don't know where. Yeah. Um, See, the thing about money you, is, but it's... apparently you can't do it forever because once you get to a point where your your nation is so fine to debt that nobody will lend you any anymore and they they and the value of your currency starts to you know go yeah. down yeah uh, so there is some kind of tipping point where you can't keep spending money you haven't got and so the government's got to work out how the heck it gets everybody back to work all the governments are in the same position uh, money is like water in the economy it has to keep moving it's got to keep flowing from one place to the next the whole system is sort of like it's like a sort of central heating system and there needs to be the right level of pressure in the system and the uh, the water has to be evenly distributed it has to flow thank uh, you professor the- <laughs> that's really clear now <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i just worked out the economy is basically <laughs> right. just a central heating system um okay so extremely tricky times ahead and what with brexit coming up and stuff it's going to be complicated all sorts of interesting times i mean what an extraordinary six months it's been yes Um, absolutely straight out of a disaster movie and unthinkable uh that you know this is where we are now uh and the and the, the lockdown was an extraordinary period wasn't it when yeah everything went quiet it certainly did here Suddenly there was was no traffic on the roads. Suddenly there were no aeroplanes in the sky. No no vapor trails across the blue. Yeah. Um everybody started noticing the bird song because it was spring. Yeah. And the papers were full of 
you know, articles about, you know, what's that bird? And um, people were finding new things to do at home. Yeah. Uh, Some people were more organized than others. But Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people, you know, developed new skills, new hobbies. And they had to teach their own children. Now, some have done it probably not at all. Some have probably done it really badly. But some of them clearly did it very well. Mm. And it, it sort of cemented the relationship between the kids. Yes, I with, guess. You're with them all the time. Yeah, I think for children it's been weird. I think on one hand it's been amazing because they get to be at home and they don't go to school, which must be amazing fun. But on the other hand, it must be also a bit weird knowing that there's something going on. They're not quite sure what it is. Um, so it must be an odd time for the children. I wonder how it's affecting them. But, um, I mean, there's other stuff that I could ask you about, Dad. Um, I mean, we've been talking now for over half an hour. Um, I mean, there is other stuff on my little list here. I mean, the UK, there were, there have been problems earlier, um, sort of at the end of the spring, beginning of the summer sort of time, as a result of what happened in the the United States with George Floyd. Mm. And um, obviously, we saw huge riots and fighting between police and protesters first of all there were like black lives matters uh, protesters and then those protests sort of became violent it's not entirely sure how like which contingents were involved in sort of setting off the violence and we saw violence against the police and plenty of violence by the police against protesters and stuff like that and a, a huge movement in the united states and sort of counter uh, movements counter protests and stuff but it, it kind of reached the UK as well, didn't it? Yes, it certainly did. What sort of I mean, stuff? The, 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 the George Floyd killing was, was clearly the trigger. If anyone listening to this hasn't seen the video of George Floyd being held down by the policeman's knee and gasping for breath, uh, it's a really, really awful scene. Yeah. Shocking. And it, it was so shocking that it's, it was also the last straw. That's a phrase that means just the last one in a line, mm-hmm. which makes all the difference. And um, uh, over here, the, there have been a number of incidents, not quite as dramatic as that, uh, of, of, of black people and Asian people being mistreated or treated differently by the police. And certainly the number of deaths in custody, that is, People have died while they've been either in a police station or in a, in a cell uh, is disproportionately high for, for black people. Uh, and there were a number of examples of uh, these cases being investigated, but, um, uh, you know, no, no policeman has ever been convicted of a crime, mm. not in recent years. Mm-hmm. So it was, the, it was something that said enough is enough. We've had enough. And I do think that there's evidence that there is still uh, racial prejudice in the country. I'm not just talking about the relatively small number of neo-fascists. Uh, I'm talking yeah. about generally. Yeah, uh, I, and, I agree. And there is. And and if you look at the the figures, the, the stats, how many black people are there in company boardrooms? Yeah. Uh, how many how many black people are there uh, who are football managers? Mm-hmm. Now, we've mm-hmm. got about four in this country, all of them pretty good. Yeah. Wolves manager is, is not quite in – he's Portuguese. I don't, don't think he quite qualifies. But yeah. um, the, uh, 
all 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 the way down the line um you can see that if you're born black it's not exactly helpful in your life and also in sort of micro situations as well like for example um if you are riding the bike along the pavement in london which is not allowed you're supposed to ride on the road if you're if you're riding your bike along the pavement or if you're doing some other sort of minor discretion maybe even privately like you might be trespassing on someone's land you know like the way sometimes you have to walk through part of a farm to get from one place to another something like that you might be trespassing on someone's land if you're doing that as a white person if, if i was doing that i would probably get away with it more easily than if i was a black person doing that people tend to sort of react differently and it's based just on you know what the person looks like yes it is and we keep on getting these examples um there was one recently of a of a a professional black guy and his uh, i think it was his son who um quite legitimately riding their bikes along a canal towpath yeah and the police you know stopped them and arrested them and and threw the son into the bushes uh, so that they could get handcuffs on him and everything else, treating him extremely roughly. Why as well? Why did they do that? Well, well there'd been there'd been a, a robbery in a shop or something, and um, the description was a black, two black people, one younger than the other. No way! And so they just so handcuffed them and roughed them up. Yeah, you know where have you been? We know who you are. Uh, in a way that it would would never happen to you or me i'm sure yeah so yeah. there's the incident after incident and and a, the communities uh you know were just angry about it and then it, this triggered this thing about why do we celebrate people who were slave owners because it, in 18th and 19th century britain we were the most you know powerful country in the world international trading because we had a very good navy and we colonized lots of places and we were using those resources and um of course over the years there's been a bit of a reanalysis of this and, and a lot of evidence that uh you know a, a lot of our people who are on plinths there are statues of them around mm-hmm, the cities mm-hmm. made their money from slaves yeah, and and if and if you're a black person, you say this person should not be celebrated. Yeah, uh, and you could quite understand that. Totally. Yeah. So uh, so it's a very interesting movement. I I think that it's a sheer coincidence that's happening while we've got the great coronavirus crisis at the same time. But um, I hope that it's something that is a watershed moment. I hope that for one one way or another. black community will feel they're treated the same as anybody else yes uh, absolutely um mum actually i think had some things to say about the whole statue situation do you reckon she's she's available do you reckon you can get oh maybe all right hold on i'll see if she's there she's got plenty to say about statues (laughs) okay yeah hello hello there Oh, All right. How are you? Fine, thanks. Good. You want to ask me about statues? So, so yeah. So, because we were talking about this the other day, and I, f- I felt like you had things to say about it. So, what do you <laughs> think about, uh, you know, the idea that we should be pulling down statues of certain people from history that are currently celebrated in public places? Then, at the in the UK. Well, it's a complicated question. I mean, I'm um, I'm against statues generally. Really? What, what's wrong with statues? <laughs> the other way, they don't move. <laughs> no, 
I don't like the way that I don't think it's necessary for certain people to be, you know, most statues are at street level, but they're they're high. They're much higher than people walking along. So automatically these people are being elevated as being different from the rest of us. They're literally being put on a pedestal. (laughs) They are literally. Exactly. And most statues seem to be of kings, queens, military leaders, um, philanthropists, people who've made lots of money, okay. uh, businessmen, all that kind of thing. Um, There's a few Beatles statues around. But they, yes. they, they fall into the category of people who made lots of money, I suppose. Yeah, they do. Anyway. I mean, there are, <laughs> as with everything, there's sort of exceptions that I don't worry about at all. I mean, I'm quite happy to see statues of the Beatles and the statue of Eric Morecambe near Morecambe Bay and all that kind of thing. I don't know. But then again, you see, there's people like um, Jimmy Savile, who had a statue, apparently. Well, obviously that should be taken And then, of course, when we find out what he's like, then you think, well, it's wrong for him to have a statue elevating him above everyone else when uh, he was uh, not a good person. Yeah. I mean, it's complicated. But I think if it was up to me, I would have no more statues of anybody. What? No more statues of anyone? Yeah. (laughs) That's not going to be a popular um, proposal, though, is it? If you you run on that ticket of like, I'm going to get rid of not only these statues, but all the other statues you love as well are all going to go. No, no, I didn't say that. What I meant was there wouldn't be any more in the future. Oh, we just stop making statues. We stop making statues. But what about all the old ones that we've that we've got? That's the problem. It's the old ones, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. So what do we do with um, them? Well, I'd be quite happy to have them all down, but um, oh, okay. I know lots of people wouldn't. Because some um, some people say that it's like um, you are, you know, erasing history. That's what they say. Well, you're not. I mean, that's rubbish. You, I mean, take all the statues down and put them in museums if that's what you're worried about. But there's plenty of history for you to learn all over. You don't need statues to learn history. Yeah, that's the you mistake. You go to museums, you go to read books, you go to school and learn about it. That's, but even that is, um, oh dear, I could go on, what, I could get myself tied up in all sorts of knots here. But it, I mean, the, the history that we learn is um, from a certain point of view usually. Mm-hmm. And it's all from the top down. Mm. You know, we're learning about the people who made a lot of money, the people who were influential, people who won wars and battles and things. The sort of history I like is social history, where you find out about people's ordinary lives. And there are loads of people in, in ordinary life who don't get any kind of credit for the really worthwhile and useful lives that they have. Mm. And the wonderful work that they do and the great effect they have on people's other people's lives, you know. I think there should be more... Should I don't know. S- should, we should celebrate ordinary, ordinary, yeah. her- ordinary heroes. Absolutely. You should make a TV show, <laughs> Mum. Jill's Ordinary Heroes. Okay. And where you meet, a, you know, the story of a dog who uh, saved his master from a swimming pool. Yes. Okay. No, I'm, jo- I'm joking. Of course, <laughs> I'm joking. But no, I, but no, mean, I know. It's, it's, I know what you mean. I don't mean to be, yeah. uh, you know, too stupid about it. I do know what you mean. It's a good point that ordinary it's, people. It's are very, often the... very complicated. Yeah. Um, and I understand that some people think that statues are very important. I mean, I don't think they're important at all. And you know, like the one of Churchill. 
Oh, controversial. Oh. Yes, it is controversial, but I mean, I, it wouldn't bother me if it disappeared. I mean, he's commemorated in loads of ways. Why does he have to have a great big statue in the middle of Westminster? Because he won the war, Jill. He no, won the he war, didn't. didn't he? No, he didn't. Ordinary people won the war. Yeah, well, and arguably, not just British well, people either. The thing with Churchill is that the problem is that, like, uh, arguably, he was really important, mainly in just the way that he spoke. And the way, you know, just that sort of rhetoric of like, we will never surrender, we'll never give up, all that stuff. And he basically resisted the Nazis. That's like the th- reason why, because other pe- you know, other people in the government were ready to, to make an agreement with them and all that stuff. And he was like, no, we'll never give up, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and that's the reason why he's considered this great hero, because people, you know, looked to him as, as a source of inspiration and stuff like that. But, you know, on the other hand, Churchill has done tons of other terrible things, like his foreign yeah. policies were like, you know, racist, you could say. And he sort of had views that were like that of a white supremacist. And, you know, it's quite, he was quite clear about that. So he's a complicated character too. Yeah. Um, well, at least everybody's complicated, let's face it. Yeah. Um, yeah nobody yeah. is straightforward. Nobody is either one thing or the other. Yeah, that's absolutely right, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, no one is just one thing. There's always like no. contradictions involved. So when you put someone up on a on a plinth or something, then, you know, be careful because you may be celebrating all the things about them. Like Jimmy yeah. Savile did give to charity, but he was also a hideous, evil scumbag. <laughs> yes. So, you know, yeah, it swings and roundabouts, isn't it, Jill? It's difficult, isn't it? It's yeah. a difficult subject. Yeah, it but, is a bit. Um, I can quite understand why the people in Bristol wanted to fetch down the one of Colston because, I mean, for a start, they'd been campaigning to get it removed for donkey, you know, for years. Yeah. And nobody had taken any notice of them. Nobody appreciated how offensive it was to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they could quite easily have just calmly taken it down and put it in a museum, a museum that talks about slavery um, yeah. and, uh, you know, teaches people what slavery was and... Um, how, you know, which people were involved in it and all that sort of yes. thing. It doesn't have to be up there, you know, above street level looking down on people. Yes, you can imagine I... if I was a black person living in Bristol, I would find it very offensive. Yeah. I'm just imagining you as a black person living in Bristol now. Uh, well, Mum, thank you for your opinion. Okay. Well, you're welcome. It's rather a mixed one, but... Um, it's all right. You know, some may find it controversial, I'm sure. That, I'm sure uh, they will, sure yes. That plenty of people will, will, will be taken aback by your, <laughs> by your stance there. But that's fine. Well, they, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Absolutely. Um, so, shall I get Dad back uh, at yeah. the end here just to kind of wrap things up? Okay. Okay, thank you. All right, you. then thank I'll you hand you your... over. Thank you, Mum. N- nice to see you and talk to you. You too. You too. Yeah. Okay, Bye. all the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Hello, Luke. Hello, Dad. So we heard Mum's controversial opinions about statues. <coughs> yes, uh, she doesn't like statues. Yes, obviously. Okay. I mean, I think I think that if um, if there weren't statues around of that type, you know, the black bronze ones of politicians looking like Roman senators, I wouldn't care at all. But obviously, one I think you should be selective. It'd be rather weird, wouldn't it, to have in the middle of Trafalgar Square. Nelson's column uh, with nothing on the top. Well, it is called it is called <laughs> Nelson's column after all. It it's is the, Nelson's. It is the and column. he was a national column. hero, and he was a colourful character, and he was um, you know a brilliant tactician in in the navy, and and saved us from invasion by 
uh, foreign forces, so he was a national hero. And uh, there's a statue of Bobby Moore, the ex-England football captain, who was captain yeah. when we won the World Cup outside his home ground at West Ham in London. Well, that's all right. We'll have a statue of Bobby yeah. Moore. <laughs> but, um, you know, that I do tend to agree that there's far too many of these statues around. And um, in Birmingham, near where I'm speaking from, the, the main square in front of the town hall is called Victoria Square. And there is a statue of Queen Victoria. And I think that uh, to, to say we don't want any statues is, is really impractical. Obviously, there are going to be some, but I think they should be much more selective and I think there should be more art around the town rather than these, these figures. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd much rather have some interesting sculpture. Yes, indeed. Okay, Dad. Well, thank you for talking to all of us again on the podcast. That's quite all right. I hope it's not too pessimistic. I mean, yeah. I, I always finish up being a bit grim about, uh, you know, what's going on, particularly here in the UK. Uh, but uh, I do find um, the reaction of the government to the uh, coronavirus crisis has been pathetic and scandalous. And I do think that Brexit is a very really bad idea. We'll just have to hope that it's not as bad as I think it's going to be. Mm. On a more positive note, finally. Yes. Uh, football. Oh, yes. Liverpool are finally champions. Yeah. Football came oh. back. No Wait, crowds. Sorry, say that again from football. What? Football came back. The Premier League restarted. Yeah. Uh, with, the, with them playing in empty grounds. Yes. Very, very weird. It, it gave the broadcasters a problem um, in that... Um, you know, the it's not just silence, it's all the players swearing at each other. Ha, <laughs> really? Well, yeah, you know, and, and unmasked by the crowd noise. So it, it's so either they, they, they allow the families at home to have their kids watching their favourite player swearing, <laughs> or they have it silent. And absolutely silent is, is very weird. Yeah. So what they've done is they've, they've dubbed on some crowd noise. Really? Yeah. And so on, on, on television and on radio, there's a kind of crowd noise engineer who wicks it up when there's an incident. Whoa, you know, like that. Really? Oh, my God. Yes. So, and, but there's, because you can have digital streams, if you're watching football on the TV, you can choose uh, not to hit, have the artificial crowd noise if you prefer it that way. <laughs> Interesting, wow. isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, Liverpool duly won the uh, the Premiership for the first time in 30 years, uh, uh, and they certainly deserve to. What a phenomenal team. And now there's a few more games to go before the end of the season. It's just a question of how many points they get. They may well get over 100 points, which mm. I don't think anybody's ever done before. Really? Well, I'm not sure, but it, they're, they're well ahead of everybody else. Wow. And so what's next? In September, the Premiership, sort of uh, August, the Premiership just kicks off again as normal, does it? I don't know, really. Good question. I think there must be a slightly longer longer gap since they're still playing. And we're into July. Mm. Um, so I don't quite know what will happen there. Um, and, uh, yeah, racing has, has restarted without any crowds. Mm -hmm. It's the Derby this, this weekend. Horse racing. The Epsom Derby, yes. The famous... A uh, flat race. It's a pretty much a, a sprint. And I went to school in Epsom, and you, we used to get the day off on the Epsom Derby Day, and, oh, and we used to go 
take our bikes and go up on the on the downs and in those days you could get right close to the rail if you sort of wriggle between people's legs yeah and see them pounding past wow and uh, the derby is a great race it's a mile and a half it's very fast and the, and the course has this big bend called the chatham corner where it's very difficult to keep the horses under control when mm. they're going at full pelt yeah so it's a very skilled skillful race that's coming on but there will be no crowds hmm. it'll be run an empty race course yeah isn't okay. that weird? Very weird. Strange times. Okay, I'll leave you then. That's it. Uh, <clears throat> okay. And uh, nice to talk to you, Luke. Uh, you too. Always interesting listening to your podcast. And I hope chatting away helps people to improve their English. I think it does. That's the idea. Okay, great. Dad, thank you. Have a nice day. Speak to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We, we, we now take we you now to take the BBC in England. There you are then. That was the Rick Thompson report for July 2020 here on planet Earth, specifically focusing on the UK sector. Thanks again to Dad for taking the time to talk to me on the podcast today and for taking me to Wembley Stadium once in 1991 to see the FA Cup final between Tottenham Hotspur and Nottingham Forest. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> I was a Nottingham Forest fan, but I also liked Tottenham, and we went along, and it was amazing. I saw some of my heroes, like Stuart Pearce, Gary Lineker, and Paul Gascoigne. So thanks for that, Dad. Uh, Forest lost the game, but it was still amazing. So there you go. Anyway, listeners, how are you? What's up with you, listeners? What's going on in your particular world as you listen to this where are you? What are you doing? Are you on public transport? Are you allowed to be on public transport? I wonder what's going on in your town, in your village, in your city. How's your English coming along? Are you doing that uh, all-important daily practice? Don't forget to try to convert your learning to speaking if you can. How's the lockdown going? I think most people are out of it, but I mean, as my dad said in this episode, there are some places where it's still a very serious problem. I hope you're getting on okay out there in podcast land. Now, listeners, uh, could you do me a favor? Do you think you could do that? Do you reckon you could do me a favor, listeners? Could you send me a message telling me what your favorite kind of LEP episode is? What's your favourite kind of Luke's English podcast episode? So there are various types of episode that I do on this podcast, right? What's your favourite type? So here are some categories for you to think about. And I'd like you to send me a message, an email, a comment under the episode, whatever's best for you. Here are some categories. So talking to guests that I don't really know that's examples that's like episodes where I'm talking to people I haven't really met before like when I took talk to Sherwood Fleming about um, intercultural relations and James Harris and stuff talking to people I don't really know then talking to guests that I do know like my family and friends talking to my dad my mum my brother Amber and Paul stuff like that talking about learning English with strategies and advice like the recent episode I did called how to learn English episodes about specific topics like the ones about number 666 things i've done about films about certain types of music and so on often with james so specific topics with james then there's conversations with my wife um 
listening to comedy and breaking it down. So it could be the comedy from a TV show or a stand-up comedian and then breaking it all down so you understand all of it. So listening to comedy. Um, then there's explaining jokes and dissecting the frog. That's where we look at some jokes and analyze them and understand them. They might not be funny anymore, but you certainly learn something from the process, even if the frog dies. Uh, then there are rambling monologues from me where I just talk into the microphone on my own and I just kind of make it all up as I go along. Rambling monologues. They often in- include news and stuff like that too. Then there are the uh, the made-up stories and improvisations. Haven't done one of those for a while. But that's where I'm just making up a story as I go along. It can be really good fun. Uh, so made-up stories. Then there are just generally voices, impressions and characters. That's where I'm doing like the voice of someone and the music has stopped. Where did the music go? Let's go to let's go to this one. All right. So once where it's just voices uh, where I'm just playing around with my voice doing impressions of people or characters. So you heard me doing a Donald Trump in this episode, didn't I? I did do a Donald Trump in my, in the episode. Um That was quite fun. So anyway, more stuff like that. Accents and things. Uh, what else? Uh, the Rick Thompson Report and uh, the Jill, Jill's Book Club as well. Mustn't forget that. Got to do, got to do the, the most recent episode of Jill's Book Club. Talking about a gentleman in Moscow. Then there's Luke's Film Club, which is where we talk about films in detail. Uh, episodes about vocab, idioms or slang. You could think about those. Uh, exploring a British TV show like the ones about uh, Gordon Ramsay. Uh, detective stories and mysteries. I've done a few of those uh, in the past. Or just something else uh, that you can think of, okay? But um, I think that will basically do for now for this episode. Let me know what your favourite type of episode is. It'll help me think of more ideas in the future. It helps me to guide myself as I go through this, the process of making episodes. You can write an email to me. Um, leave a comment under the episode or tweet me at English Podcast on Twitter. If you want to email me, you can do that from my website, teacherluke.co.uk, where you can also find out all the details of LEP Premium if you are interested in signing up for that. That's teacherluke.co.uk. But that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll speak to you again in the next one. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.